Michelob Ultra Tuscan Orange Grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Hello. Uh, welcome to Fan Zone Debate. We got another match for you. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, number one contenders match. We're here. End of the season. Uh, getting ready to see uh, Kurt Kolkowski defend his uh, newly earned belt that he got at the end of the tournament earlier this year at Mayhem. And uh, he's going to face one of these two today. We got uh, Robert Parker going up against Nazario Montenegro. I'm scared. Uh, these two played uh, back when this was Nerdgasm. Uh, I believe Robert won that outing, and I know that Nazario uh, has feelings. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens. I think Nazario is very much in the camp of he wants to win and move on as much as he uh, might say he doesn't care. The man loves to win. And I think Robert is at the point where he's like, oh, I don't care, but that also secretly really wants to win. So it's going to be interesting. Cody, you're here. Uh, what do you think about this wild matchup? Oh, this match is completely going to be crazy. Um, Nazario and Robert. It showed last time, like, Robert got really fired up. He normally gets fired up one question of every match. It's like a spike, and then he goes down. Um, I'm just looking forward to the version of the show is when Brian points out points that are really valid, and we should have probably listened to a little closer than that. And... <laughs> He was probably right on giving the point, but we did something different. That's what I'm looking forward to. And at the end of it, I'm just waiting for one of them to be like, you fucked me on that one. So, like, that's my favorite part of uh, Fan Zone. So, can't wait. That's fair. Uh, Brian, welcome. You're here for the number one contenders match. How are you feeling about this matchup? Uh, you know, you brought me in last minute, and uh, I saw the questions and the picks that they picked for the questions, and I really hate most of them so that's good <laughs> because that means that i'm on an even playing field and i can judge purely by their actual debates that's fair that's actually save the date for the title match by the way brad uh this will be great <laughs> all right so we'll start by bringing in uh mr vhs himself nazario uh nazario welcome um you've had some good wins to get here you're now at the number one contenders match you're playing robert how you feeling i don't know how this should happen uh I don't think I was supposed to make it this far. Uh, I do like to talk shit, uh, so maybe that helped. But now that I'm here, what the fuck is going on? I have no manager. You have your brother-in-law for a judge. The manager of the guy is here too, even though he technically doesn't manage him anymore. Something's fishy. I, 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 okay, we're gonna, uh, bring Ryan, you're my only hope. <laughs> we're gonna bring in Robert. Uh, Robert, uh, you are here, uh, like I, like I said, for Nazario. Um, you only had to play one match to get here. You played Cameron in a very good match that went down to the wire, and now you're playing Nazario again after this <laughs> played a couple years back. How are you feeling about this match? I'm good. Uh, Nazario, don't worry. Neither of these guys have uh, any qualms with voting against me. So uh, don't worry about that for one second. Uh, yeah, last, <coughs> excuse me. last match against Cam was fun. It was nice to get back in the ring. Uh, it went down to the wire. I'm expecting this one to probably do the same. But maybe not. These are all questions that, like, I... It's just going to be really interesting to see how both of us uh, argue them because I think we picked very different answers on almost every question. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to get right into the match. Here's how it's going to work. Uh, 
as we've alluded to, there are four prep questions uh, in the match based on categories that the players drafted. Cody and I wrote those questions, gave them to them. They submitted answers. And now they will debate them, starting with a one-minute opening, a five-minute freeform, followed by a one-minute closing at the end of said debate. Cody, Brian, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we thought should have won that question. Two out of three votes wins you the point, and three points wins you the match. Uh, gentlemen, are there any questions before we get into the first question of the match? Nope. All right, then let's get ready to fight. I love that clip with all my soul. Um, all right, guys, we're going to get into the first question in this debate, which was drafted by Mr. Parker. It is in the category of Planet of the Apes. And the question is, what is the best quote in the original Planet of the Apes series? Um, so, Robert, you drafted this. That means you get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, the best movie quotes in the history uh, of film are they're character driven, they drive the plot, uh, they're short, they're memorable, they're very, you know, they're quotable, right? Something you can remember off the top of your head and just rattle off. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, or uh, may the force be with you. Just the most iconic quotes are those kind of things. Very memorable, applicable in lots of situations. And I chose, get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Uh, it's from 1968's Planet of the Apes. Uh, it is when Charlton Heston's character speaks for the first time after uh, having his throat injured, uh, so it's a it's a plot device in the sense that uh, it's used to show all of the apes that he can talk, that he's an intelligent creature, which uh, really sets up the second half of the movie's plot. And also, it's a really character-driven moment because he has been uh, fearful and angry at these apes since he first met them, since they killed all of his friends, uh, and he's trying to run away from them. And it's just a moment of exasperation for him as a character, uh, and it's memorable. It's just so quick you can rattle it off. Time. All right, and I'm bringing Nazario. Nazario, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. I love how he said quick three times because he knows mine is long. Uh, but uh, the fact that it's long doesn't mean that it's less meaningful. It may be less catchy, but it is half meaning. Mine is, you are right. I have always known about man. From the evidence, I believe the wisdom walks hand in hand with his idiocy. His emotions must rule his brain. He must be a warlike creature who gives battle to everything around him including himself, which I think is very memorable because memorable because it tells you the, the essence of what the film is trying to tell you. It's trying to tell you that man is his own worst enemy. It's the creature that dominates the world yet cannot get out of its own way to live peacefully and how other races, like the apes, for example, in this film, can move on, coexist, and, and develop into a better species with the absence or the limitations on man, which I think uh, it's actually very meaningful and it applies to our society even today. All right. All right. Um, all right. You guys are ready for your five minute free form. Try not to talk over each other or I will beat you with a stick. Uh, five minutes when one of you starts talking. So uh, I, I did say short. 
<clears throat> excuse me, but I, I'm not just saying that because yours is long. I think that like the best movie quotes in history, you have to be able to just like throw in as a reference in a moment's notice. And it took you half of your opening just to read your quote from a piece of paper because you don't have it memorized. It's not something that is memorable, right? It is an important moment of the movie. It absolutely is. It's an important speech and it does summarize what the movie is about. You're correct in saying that, but the best movie quotes don't have to do that. I'm going to make an offer you can't refuse. Doesn't talk about the themes of what The Godfather is about. It's just a damn good movie quote. Actually, uh, no. I actually think I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Goes to the spirit of what The Godfather is. He's the man in charge, and he's the one who can tell everybody else what to do because he is, in fact, The Godfather. I think yours actually betrays your character because the first thing we learn about Taylor is that he hates people. Like, he uh, doesn't like people. He feels like they are ruining humans and everything. So he believes more in an equanimate ambient with uh, nature and the animals. And the first time he gets to speak, he becomes a racist, dismissive freak, calling them stinking, uh, stinking paws, damn dirty apes. He's insulting and he's dismissive of their whole civilization just because they're apes. I, I don't, it's not just because they're apes, it's because they murdered and lobotomized his best friends and tortured him. I think those are very different things. I think it's very character driven. It makes sense that uh, his character is afraid and terrified and angry at these apes because of what they've done to him and the other humans around him. It's not like it's out of the blue. He just like suddenly hates all apes just because they're apes. It is perfectly explained in the context of the movie why he's saying and thinking the things that he is. And again, there's just no, there's no, uh, the best movie quotes are ones that you can just be, be having a conversation with like somebody who also likes movies and throw it in. They'll be like, oh yeah, from, uh, you know, uh, whatever, fucking Godfather, whatever. Uh, you you can't do opinion, that with your like quote. You, it's not a good movie quote because you, it's not, uh, it, you can't memorize it. You can't bring it up. It's three sentence long. You can't memorize so it quick. if you're willing to, but I'm, what you I'm saying didn't, is, though. You read it what off I'm saying page. is, what does it matter if I memorize it or not? What I'm saying is in the context of what the film means and the message it tries to convey to its audience is the most meaningful part of the film. It explains why even though Dr. Sayers knows the reality about man, he hides it because he has discovered that the species itself, it's parasitic. It's a problem because if you allow man to reign free, they will take over and they will uh, make slaves of all the other species, which is what happens in reality. If he wanted to be preemptive and make the men slaves and limit their potential is the only way that apes could thrive, which is what they're trying to show you in the movie. And Taylor himself gets this message when he goes in the end and spoiler alert, sees the Statue of Liberty and realizes what the, he, where he has been and he has done. What I'm saying is that Taylor never gives a chance. Like, yes, they are attacking him because they don't know he's a different human. But if he goes to them and tries to be reasonable since the beginning without being dismissive and racist and oppressive, Maybe they wouldn't react the same way. His friend got half of his brain cut out while he was still living. You think that's going to be cause for, yeah, I'm just going to sit down and have a nice civil discussion with these people. Of course not. He's on an, in, in his mind, he's on an alien planet. He just saw his friends be murdered and tortured. He's been whipped and hosed down and tortured. He's seen these other mute humans be abused. Of course, that's a very, it's not a betrayal of his character. It's a very uh, logical reaction to have. I think you're making a very good argument of why Zayas should say this quote because he believes these things that he thinks humans are evil. But the question isn't what quote like is a well-written line by a character that makes sense to say it. It's best quote in the whole series. And uh, get your singing pals off me, damn dirty apes, is the best quote. It's the most memorable. It's the most quotable 
uh, it, it's just it, it is encapsulating of the series as a whole as well because it is Taylor's character, like you're saying. Uh, it, there's just a lot that's right with this quote, uh, and I just don't think that your quote See, is a good you know, quote. Problem, it's a good line. It's a good line in the movie that summarizes uh, the, the themes of the movie, but not all quote, of the quotes have to summarize the themes of the quote, movie. Just because it sounds pretty, and then they want to try and use it, like you said, people will say, oh, I don't know what that reference is from. So that people are going to throw it out willy-nilly. Like Tim Burton tried to do in the remake, changing it up and saying, get your hands off me, you damn dirty human. I mean, that has nothing to do with like, my argument, though. He, he was going with your argument. Hey, we're both no no movies. We both knowledgeable no. about this. Let's let's throw this in there and see who recognizes that. Like, oh, that's a clever twist from the first movie. No, that's completely that, unrelated. That's doing, like, it is related. You said that the greatest quotes are referenced and acknowledged by fans. So that's what Tim Burton was trying to do with a wink to the audience about the original movie, and this is what you get. You're talking about quotes not even in my movie. You're talking about quotes not in my movie. (laughs) Not in my movie. Strike it from the record. Uh, Nazario, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. I guess this is the way we interpret the word best quote because for me, best is something that has to be meaningful, something that has to go to the heart of what the, the movie, hell, even the series is, which is the nature of man and how his self-destructive warlike nature subjects everybody, every other species to our rule. And I think it's a symbol to what's happening in the world today when to, for men to be this successful, no other species can thrive. And of course, somebody would hi- want to hide that and show that they can evolve in the absence of man. His definition of best is just quotable. And a lot of things are quotable even if it doesn't really make sense to the character that we have been presented with. For the first third of the movie, he doesn't like humans. He just doesn't like them. And he doesn't ever give a chance to the apes. Yes, they did a lobotomy to his friend, but he doesn't know the details of the situation. Once he realized they speak, maybe he should try to understand them. Time. All right. Robert, you now have one minute to open your argument when you, or close your argument, sorry, when you start talking. Burton's ape movie, it has nothing to do with my movie. My quote is not in that movie. That's an irrelevant argument. I think it made it very clear why my line does work with his character. If your best friend was just murdered by a zealot and a bigot and a racist themselves, I don't think you'd be very keen to just like sit down and have a conversation and learn the details of the situation. I think that's a silly argument. Um, and the best movie quotes of all, t- all time are quotable. They're not grandiose speeches. There can be well-written speeches in movies, but they're not necessarily the best quotes. There's great moments, but they're not great quotes. Your movie is talking about the themes of the movie or excuse me your quote is talking about the themes of the movie yes but it's just not a good quote it's cool that it's wraps it up in a nice little bow but so do other quotes that are also quotable i am iron man one of the best quotes of all time uh sums up the themes of that character that movie and it's quote a quick and quotable and you can actually throw it out in conversation nobody is having a conversation with other film fans and saying your 18 sentence speech it's just not a realistic quote it's not a very good one that's all I got. Sorry. Time. All right. <clears throat> Good, everybody? Yeah, except there was some bitch bullshit thrown out at the end, but we'll talk about that in my time. Um, all right. A couple things uh, uh, I want to fact check here. Um, Taylor doesn't learn that. Uh, 
one of the I forget. I think it's Landon is the one that's lobotomized. Dodge, I don't fucking remember. Uh, he doesn't learn until after this, guys. He's just missing, but he does see the other one in the museum. So I'll give you that. So the argument held for me. Um, I've debated this same question just in a different category. I've debated in against Jacoby in the title match. Uh, best Lord of the Ring or Hobbit quote. And I went with the long drawn out thing where he, and then he went with the like trailer moment of the let's go on an adventure. And so based on the answers, I was pretty certain I was going to go with Nazario, but Robert actually convinced me in the argument about why not only is his a good quote, from a movie and the series, but also why it's a good quote for the character in the moment of the movie and what's happening and everything. I think Nazario did a great job of doing the same thing for his, but I think Robert's extra thing of also letting it go into pop culture and everything. I give it to Robert. Cody, where are you going? Uh, there's just somebody on the call that said I am Iron Man that once also said that was the stupid one of the stupidest moments in any movie ever. Um, uh, so pandering. So nice to use that to try to sway the judges, but we all see through your bullshit. Um, uh, but on that note, uh, I almost gave him zero points because he decided to argue semantics for most of the fight that says it's too long. It's not a quotable thing. It's acceptable. It's an answer. And then he just he got stuck on Godfather a while. Um, I'm just giving him shit because I can. Um, I think overall he was able to back up a lot of the stuff that makes the scene thing. Um, but I think it was not as one-sided as possible. But Robert did win for that. Okay. Uh, Brian, your vote doesn't count, but where would you have gone and why? Uh, as usual, I disagree. I said Nazario. Um, for me, this is one of those ones that was hard to judge because I think they both interpreted the question very differently of what you know the best quote is. Because yes, one is more, you know, more quotable, it's more memorable, it's more well known, but the other one is a quote from the movie that has more meaning to it and more essence. And I think my interpretation of it leaned more towards what, how Nazario uh, presented his argument, where where it actually, how it really had more meaning, even, even though it's not like a quick quotable thing. Yeah. All right. So uh, Robert does win the first point. We are going to move on to question number two, which is going to come uh, from a category that uh, Nazario drafted directors, uh, specifically the aforementioned uh, Tim Burton. And the question is, which Tim Burton film that gets a lot of hate is actually good. Uh, so Nazario, you get to open this one. You have one minute when you start talking. When I think about Tim Burton, I know like a lot of his films are very divisive. But the one that I think it shouldn't be is the remake of Dumbo. Because when you see what Disney was doing, maybe still doing, uh, it's kind of on pause for now, with the live action remakes of their famous animated features, the most of them are just a carbon copy of what they did in animation. And that adds nothing. Dumbo did what remakes are supposed to do. It took the original material, it expanded on it. The story, it's deeper, it's more more detailed, and uh, he adds to the story elements that were presented before, and he removes problematic elements from the original. I understand that it was made in the 40s, it was a different mentality, but what he what they were doing with the circus workers and what they did with the crows, those things are unacceptable in today's age, and he found a way to go around it, just like he did with the pink elephant. 
it's a movie that deserves more eyes and it wasn't really taken well, but it deserves it. All right. Robert, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So the question specifically says gets a lot of hate. And I don't know if there is a Tim Burton movie that gets more hate than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, this is a movie that I think if you go back and revisit it with fresh eyes that are not uh, obsessed with the Gene Wilder version, there's actually a lot to like. It's interesting. It's one of the most unique looking Tim Burton movies. Uh, the performances are all like, especially from the five kids are all top notch. They're all really, really, really good. Johnny Depp is doing something new. It's a different take on the character. And even if you don't love it, it's at least interesting. It's new. It's different. We get more into his backstory. It's far more loyal to the source material. Uh, and I think that is worth it's commendable. Uh, he makes a movie that is at least interesting. It's a really fun watch, uh, and it, it gets maligned because when it came out, people just were not high on the Johnny Depp performance. Uh, people were not high on, I, I don't know what it was. I think it was literally just that performance, but that performance is at least interesting, and there's a lot else in that movie besides just that performance to All right. love. Alright. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory versus Dumbo. Five minute of free form when one of you starts talking. I actually agree with what you said. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a good movie. And yeah, most and it gets the most hate. Most people agree with you because I don't know where you find no. I checked and he has an 83% score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a positive movie. That movie From, made over that... five million dollars five hundred million dollars in the box office worldwide in two thousand five dollars, which translates to about Transformers movies make billions watch. of dollars too. Box office means nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nothing. It means no, people it went to see it. Dumbo didn't do shit. It's it's rotten on Rotten Tomatoes below fifty. It's had like three hundred and fifty million dollars in two thousand nineteen dollars, which is a lot less money. So basically, less than half the people that wanted to even give it a chance gave it a chance. And the movie just gets ignored because Disney dropped three live-action remakes on the same year, including The Lion King, which is pan as hell. But people still don't give a shit about Dumbo. They never so, gave it a shot. And yours is actually pretty well-received. Anybody who doesn't love the Gene Wilder one actually kind of likes the Charlie Chocolate Factory one. I think you said some really interesting things, though. So first off, uh, it has a 51% audience score. So it is rotten with the audience score. So if you want to use Rotten Tomatoes as a, met as a metric, let's use similar metrics here. Uh, also, box office means Not nothing. Similar, for the, but... Box office means nothing for the quality of the film. There are great movies that make nothing. There are terrible movies that make lots of money. Uh, I think that's an irrelevant argument. But then you said most people didn't give it a chance, uh, is what you said about Dumbo. And you also said something along the lines of like people are just mild on it. And that's right. It doesn't get hate. Dumbo, the, the question specifically said, what Tim Burton movie that gets a lot of hate? I've never met somebody. I've never even seen a review or a letterbox score or anything of somebody who despises Dumbo, who gets who gives it so much hate. Everybody that I know that has seen it, and uh, also on Rotten Tomatoes score, like you said, it's like mid-40s, which is middling. It's not like 20%. It's not something that's horrible. Um, it's just everybody who's seen it is like, yeah, that was fine. Or yeah, it was good. Or, eh, I, you know, not really for me. Nobody so you're, so hates you're saying Dumbo. That 50 Nobody hates Dumbo. The, the question said... You're saying that 50% is middling, and then you're saying that 50% is what Charlie and the No, Chocolate I'm saying that both that, Rotten Tomato scores should be thrown hate. out the window. I'm saying both Rotten Tomato scores should be thrown out the window because they don't mean anything. I'm saying that people that I... The people in general that you have conversations with, if they've seen Dumbo, they think it's fine. That movie, when it came out, was not... Uh, a 
like barraged by critics. It was not barraged by fans of the source material. It people Neither were like, was yours. Eh. Yes, yours it was is. actually loved by critics. It's a very positive rating. It's over eighty percent. And let's say move on. Let's not talk about Rotten Tomatoes anymore. Have you actually <laughs> talked to people? Have you actually talked to people from that age range that grew up with this movie? The people who didn't grow up with the Wilder version, they like it. If you talk to a lot of people in our community, which I have because I am the Tim Burton guy, so I always keep bringing this shit up. And most people are like, you know what? The movie is good. Johnny Depp was trying to do Michael Jackson. That was that was a little bit off. But the kids, I, I think people, I think you're, you're being a little, generous, like a little off. Deep, Deep Roy is great. And the music itself by Danny Elfman is actually very good. Don't if we're just listening to like cast members, I can say Colin Farrell was really good. Danny DeVito was really good. There's a lot of good stuff in your movie too. I think your movie is a fine movie. That's what I'm saying. I, but I'm I don't saying think it gets hate. A good movie that didn't There's get two a parts chance. of the question. <laughs> I don't I'm think your movie gets hate. What I what I'm saying is that my movie is a good movie that improves a lot on the original, and it should have been a, a surrounding success, and it never even got a shot because people were already negative on it. Like, they were negative saying, on it. They were middling on it. You're saying ignorance. Difference. You're saying when somebody doesn't care about something, that's not hate. But that is still a negative reaction to it. What you're not hate. Is get the positive question, reaction from most people. The question doesn't say what Tim Burton movie had the most not cared about, what, that didn't get its shot. or was Who hates Charlie and the Chocolate material. Factory then? Tell me who hates it. I will go on Letterboxd right now and I bet you... 90% of the people that I follow who log it uh, have it less oh, than Oh, so two. the people you follow are now the world. You said people. You said who hates it. I'm giving you, you are the one who's are... saying it's not the same. I'm saying mine didn't get a chance. Indifference is a form it's of not, a... not caring. Indifference is not hate. Indifference is not hate, Nazaro. Those are not the same thing. What is hate people are pe Despising it. It's active hate, active anger, active despising. You haven't brought Nobody up a single evidence of direct hate for Charlie yes, I did. The people, I said people dis in my opening. Yes, I did. I said in my opening, I said people despise and tear apart that Johnny Depp performance. Please let me finish, Nazaro. I said people despise and tear apart the Johnny Depp performance as being one of the worst performances of his career. They say it ruins the movie. People absolutely, absolutely have that opinion. Uh, I'm not. I don't remember people the name say, of the critic. Let's get who ready said to Dumbo is stupid. That is a thing that people hate from my movie. Nobody hates my movie. This is great. Uh, Robert, you get to close first when you start talking. I just feel like I. Uh... You can't like ask me to answer a question and then say no. Who says that? That's just like such a bad way of arguing. I, nobody despises Dumbo. People like Dumbo. There's a lot to like in it. It's an okay movie. I don't know why you keep bringing up the original. It has nothing to do. It's not most improved. It's not what movie should have made more money. What movie should have had a shot? Because everybody who's seen it thinks it's fine. Nobody hates it. There's nothing that people point at and say that fucking sucks. People can point at the Johnny Depp performance and say that fucking sucks. There is nothing about Dumbo that people uh, unanimously or even not, even not unanimously. There's nothing that people point at and say that ruined the movie. That sucks. That's the definition of hate. It's not bewilderment. It's not uh, disdain or it's not the not caring. Right. It's not uh, um, mild amusement. That's not hate. And those are the reactions that people had with Dumbo. Nobody. Uh, looks at Dumbo and points out something that they absolutely despise. People do do that for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They point in at the very least that one thing that really sucks, and that's hate. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has a lot of good despite that. All right. Nazario, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. 
So I guess we have to take his word that people hate Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because they hate Johnny Depp. Well, I have had people tell me they hate, let's get ready to Dumbo from the fucking trailer from Dumbo. And that is enough to have evidence of hate. I'm giving you evidence that people liked it. I'm saying that the, the critic score is over 80%. Dumbo is in the 40s. And I'm saying that people went to actually see the movie because they were intrigued by it. And then people in our community, and you can check it on Letterboxd if you want later, it's averaging over three out of five. And most people have it in three and a half or, or higher. And when you ask people about Dumbo, they said, like, that looks stupid. I don't care. Indifference is also a negative reaction to it. I am sure some people will say, like, that's a fucking piece of shit movie. It ruined my childhood experience of the original Dumbo. But, I mean, who are those people? Who are we to point out who hate? What, what is a hate? Mine gets negative reactions and indifference. Just Yours gets positive reviews and liked by most people are in that group. <sighs> this is going about as well as I was going to these two. This is this one is my favorite debate this has ever happened. <laughs> oh man! Fuck! All right. All right, Ryan. Ryan, Ryan, you get to go first. Um. I think both of them spent the entire debate arguing the wrong side of the question. Um, they spent the whole, the question is which one that gets the most hate is actually good, and they spent the entire time talking about why the other one doesn't get hate, which they've already been accepted as answers, so we've already established they do get hate, and very little time from either person was spent talking about why theirs was good, um, especially like Robert's Robert's summary. His entire thing was talking about Dumbo until his last five seconds. He goes, "Oh, and Charlie Chalk Factory has good things," and that was it. So uh, the person who gave at least me a little bit of why theirs was actually good was Nazario. He was talking about some of the cast and things like that. So by a, by a, a slight margin, Nazario. Uh, I agree with Brian that most of the uh, free form honestly was thrown out the window for me, especially when both players decided that the Rotten Tomatoes thing was stupid and they should move on from it after they spent a minute. I know you didn't bring it up, but after- no, 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 no. I, I was going to say something else. Okay. Anyway, um, <coughs> I, I went with Robert and uh, the reason I did was uh, Robert was able to tell me um, why his movie got, Again, I, I think this is pretty bad all the way around, but to me, Robert's argument of why Charlie and the Jack Ch Chocolate Factory got hate, but then ends up being there are things about it that are great that people should go back for versus Dumbo. I, I don't know. Nazario's whole like, oh, just from the trailer, people didn't like it thing. I don't know. It didn't really work for me, but honestly, it was it was close in the sense that I didn't know which bad argument to take. So, uh, Cody, you get to decide it, and I think I know where you're going based on your facial reactions. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I was sitting there with Brian. I was like, when is this going to switch from one side of it? Nazario pissed off Robert to an nth degree in this match mm -hmm. that made him start his, start his final closing with saying, 
you can't fucking do this shit. Like, throw <laughs> completely off. Is it a bad strategy? But both of you weren't arguing the question. And if we argue the first 30 seconds of each one of your debates, you told me why the movie was good. And then the rest was like, oh, you want to talk to your friends? I'll talk to my friends. Rotten Tomatoes? Rotten Tomatoes. Box office means nothing. Yours is not good. It was J- Michael Jackson. It was so weird and back and forth. I went to Nazario because just you, if, if, if anything's a defensive fighter, if Nazario thought he was losing, he literally put you in a bear trap and it was weird. Like, I also have strong problems with the fact that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. I love how Marble. we said, <laughs> okay. Devin, you can tell we us can later. cut this one. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to question number three. Uh, This was drafted by Mr. Parker. It is in the category of coming of age slash teen. And the question is, what is the best performance in a 2010s coming of age movie? Robert, you get to kick this one off one minute. When you God, I hope this doesn't, I hope this doesn't devolve into an argument of what is a performance. Uh, But I chose Haley Seinfeld from the age of 17. Uh, there's just 17 i think is an amazing amazing movie uh, it's incredibly well written incredibly well acted and Haley seinfeld goes through the full range of what you can do with a performance it's comedic it's dramatic it's heart-wrenching it's awkward in the best of ways that only the great coming of age performances uh can be there's so many great scenes uh the scene where she's in the car and she's uh sort of getting harassed a little bit like the her performance in that scene is incredible uh the, her comedic play off of woody harrelson is amazing. Uh, her dramatic play off of uh, Haley Lou Richardson is amazing. Every time that she's on screen, she is just batting a thousand. She's doing wonderful uh, in every aspect that you can give in a performance. Uh, there's more scenes that I'll go into in the middle, but uh, yeah, Haley Seinfeld on the Edge of 17 is just like one of the best performances of the entire decade, uh, much less coming of age movies. Okay. Uh, we'll move over to Nazario for his opening. One minute when you start talking. When I was thinking about coming of age movies from this period, obviously I'm a little older, so maybe I see movies in a different way. Uh, I decided to go with Olivia Cook from Thoroughbreds uh, because I have seen Olivia Cook. I have seen her in uh, some kind of coming of age romantic things, but I never thought she could push it further than that. But then she was asked to play a character in this movie, which is something very tricky. It's a sociopath who has been faking her whole life that she can care. And then she has an incident that causes her not to be able to, not to even want to try to fake it anymore. And she reveals her true soul. The things that she does in this movie are very subtle, but very, very impactful. She becomes this character who's not supposed to care or feel anything. And in the end, she still makes a choice based on caring for another person. It's, it's a wild ride. It's very, very detailed. And it's probably a very underrated performance of the contents time all right i love both of these movies so great picks uh five minutes freeform when one of you starts talking okay uh <laughs> so uh olivia cook and thoroughbreds um the biggest problem that i have with this performance uh is it's not the best performance in the movie 
Anya Taylor Joy is way better than no. she is. There, there's just so much. So what I look for in a performance, what I like to see is that range of emotions. It's not just being one note. And I really do think Olivia Cook is one note in this movie. She is just that sociopath. She is just despondent. She's just that person who doesn't care. You don't really get to see her play anything else. It's just that. And I think it's an interesting plot and an interesting story, but I don't think she brings much to that performance that another uh, actress couldn't do. I just don't think there's a lot of layers in her performance. I think that is the part where it, it kind of tricks you. Like, if you're not paying attention, it may feel like she's being one note, but she's the one holding the hand of Anna Taylor-Joy for during the whole thing. Anna Taylor-Joy is being a lot more showy. I agree on that. But that is because that's what her character is supposed to be. She's supposed to be this good girl who turns bad in the end, breaks bad, and goes into the other side because of the influence of her friends. But the thing is that you're not taking into account all the subtleties along the way. There is a one scene where she shows her the technique where he's supposed to teach her how to fake cry. And if you're watching that for the first time and you do not know what is going on, you think she's actually feeling what she's feeling. Because that's what I'm saying. It's very hard to sell a person who cannot feel things while actually yeah. faking to feel. On your character side, honestly, I like the movie. I think it's a solid movie. I just... I don't even think she's the best thing in it. You mentioned Haley Lou Richardson. She's a lot more like natural, a lot more caring. Her arc in this movie is actually a lot more intriguing to me personally than uh, Haley Steinfeld's because she is a person who actually has to feel like she betrays her friend because of following her heart and how she can fix and mend that bridge. And we don't get to see that. She just gets thrown off the screen and we follow Haley Steinfeld who's doing her best I don't know, Emma Stone in ECA version or Lady Bird from the movie, like in a lot of similar movies we have seen. I think that's a gross oversimplification uh, of the, and the the part about you don't get to see the the, the mending of the bridges between Haley Richardson and Haley Steinfeld. That's not Haley Steinfeld's fault in her performance. That's just the the movie. <laughs> and that this is arguing the best coming of age movie. It's the best performance in one. Uh, Haley Richardson is very good, but I think she's only good because she's, uh, if there's a dramatic way to do a straight man and a funny guy, if you know what I mean, uh, Haley Lou Richardson is that person that, again, is a little bit... Uh, she she has to be played off of, is what I'm saying with Haley Steinfeld. I, I don't know the best way to word that. But the problem with the scene you're talking about, uh, the crying scene, is at the end of it, she goes back to that one note. She goes back to despondent. She goes back to sociopathic. And I'm not saying that there's not... Uh, I'm not saying that there's not subtleties, but I don't think subtlety is the same thing as nuance. I don't think subtlety and layers are the same thing. I do think there are subtleties in her performance, but I don't think it shows a range of, of a performance. Whereas Haley Steinfeld definitely has that. The scenes with her in her classroom, every time she talks to Woody Harrelson uh, is just electric. Uh, every time, like I said, the scene in the car, the scene in the pet store where she sees her crush and it's like, uh, it's like when you were in high school and you saw your crush in public, like it's the most embarrassing sort of, uh, uh, blushing, like it, it's is, just an incredible performance all the way around. This is what I'm saying. You're going for the showy thing. You're going for the Sean Penn, I am Sam school of acting. I'm like not showy, it's just layered. It's just, there's just they more do the bigger it. thing, and and you feel more impressed by that. Which is the same reason why I didn't pick Anna Taylor Joy from Thoroughbred. That is the easy thing. To do the hard thing is to be the the person who has to show you different levels of uh, performance without being able to actually show you overtly that you can get small details of the way she's turning. She, she's definitely a sociopath for most of the movie, but she still cares about her friend. And you can see little seats on that when she starts to give her a small outs throughout the movie. And One you can minute. see it for the big thing in the end, where even though she knows her friend is betraying her, she knows it's going to cost her her life, she still does it. 
if she didn't care, if she didn't have the seeds of caring before, that wouldn't have worked. And it does I think work. That's like I'm saying with is. yours, your performance is too similar to every other girl coming of age of the 2010s. And to be honest, the, I still think Lady Bird is the better choice. If you had taken that as an example, I could see that performance being more to the level of what I'm arguing here. Those performances are very different because those movies are very different because the directors and the writers are very different. Uh, saying that you should Every have chosen Lady Bird, then then you should have chosen Lady Bird too. If that's the argument you're going to make, uh, my point about Hilary, or excuse me, Hilary Steinfeld is it's not. It's not showy, it's grounded. Uh, the showy thing would be like this Sean Penn and I am saying, that's not what Haley, uh, Stein, uh, sorry, that's not what Haley Steinfeld is doing in the scene. It's not showy, it's grounded. Uh, I'll talk about it more in my closing, but just saying that like somebody has a lot of big scenes doesn't mean that the performance isn't layered. I'm... Okay. Uh, Robert drafted this. So Nazario, you're going to go first with your closing. You have one minute when you start talking. I'm not saying if you are showy, it does not layer. I'm saying it's easier to have that performance than the performance that Olivia Coop did in Thoroughbred. And I also didn't say that Ladybird was better than Thoroughbred, because it's not. I'm just saying it's better than Haley Steinfeld at the age of 17. The problem with your film is that it's very samey. It's the same old coming-of-age movie, that the same old kind of performance that we have gotten from a lot of other actresses, like in Booksmart, in uh, ECA, Ladybird, that was even better received, but the problem is that Haley Steinfeld really downplays the character to the point that it kind of she gets second place in every scene she's in. She gets out outseen by Woody Harrelson, she gets by Haley Lou Richardson, who's a much better actress. Olivia Cook is at the center of thoroughbreds, and she drives the change that goes into Anna Taylor Joyce's character. Without her performance, you cannot believe Anna Taylor Joyce's change. And when it wraps it up in the, the final scene, where she actually does the sacrifice for her friend when she's supposed not to care for her. That subtlety, that level of performance is what excels in coming right. of age movies. Coming of age movies, strike it from the record. Uh, bring in Robert. Robert, you have one minute to close when you start talking. Again, I don't think subtlety and nuance are the same thing. I think nuance is what you want in performance, something that shows multiple layers, that has more to say, uh, something that shows just a bigger range of emotion. Uh, and that's not what you have in Thoroughbreds. It, there's just, there, there's subtlety, but there's not nuance. There's no layers. Uh, if you're talking about it being the same old coming of age movie, it's not. The scene uh, at the end with her brother in the hallway where she's talking to her brother, Haley Steinfeld, is uh, in the verge of tears. And she's talking about how terrified she is of who she's become and how scared she is to be herself and the trajectory that her life is taking, that is not unlike any other performance in any other movie. Nobody could have pulled that off. She's not being outplayed in each of her scenes. She's choosing her moments carefully because that's what a great performance does. It doesn't have to be the absolute center of every single scene. Sometimes you have co-stars that you need to play off of to make the scene emotionally resonant and you see a full spectrum of emotion from grief to sadness to longing to love to joy to bliss all of that is in Haley seinfeld time We all good? Yes. Cody, you get to start. Um, I like when Sassy Robert comes out. Um, it makes me want to like headbutt him, but it's not me he's arguing with, so I, I'm allowed to well, allow it. Uh, basically, 
Nazari just had a problem arguing the question, I believe, at the end of the day. There was a lot of about movies and reference, but at the end of the day, I believe every time Robert got swayed or or tr- that he tried to sway him into something, he's brought it back to just the performance. And I think the one of the best lines is like, then you should have picked Lady Bird in that situation. If the thing. I think that's a fair argument that says his character is one note and that movie's one note and the movie um, hits the same beats at all of it, but that's not the question that's asked, so they're fair throws. But um, I think he just presented the character of why that character's the best performance. So I went with Robert. Uh, love the movie also. The movie's great, but... Okay, I missed most of that, but uh, Brian, you get to go uh, next. He'll tell me I'm wrong and fix somebody else. So I'm sorry. Uh, Cody is no. Um, honestly, Robert had me pretty much from the beginning. Um, he started off real well talking about how Haley Steinfeld not only was able to handle all the different facets of it from being comedic and dramatic and all this, but also uh, one line I really liked he said was how she was, you know, awkward in all the right ways for, for a coming of age movie. Um, and while Olivia Cook's performance was good, in thoroughbreds, it was a lot more subtle and, and you know, so as an actor, it was, it was it was a good performance. But when I think of a coming of age movie, it has a certain ring to it. And and I think that he just gave me better examples of why hers was a great coming of age performance. Okay, so Robert wins the point. Uh, my vote doesn't count. I also went Robert. Um, I kind of felt the same way. I, I if, if I were picking out a personal preference, I would pick Thoroughbreds. I think that movie is fucking awesome and it's super underseen. Uh, but so is Edge, Edge of 17 is really great too. And I think Robert, like Brian said, I don't know what the fuck Cody said, but I know what Robert or what Brian said, shit. What Brian said about, um, yeah, just it being the better coming of age performance. I, it, how Robert argued that, I absolutely agree. So, uh, Robert is up two to one as we go into the fourth question <laughs> the category of horror icons. This was chosen by Nazario. The question is what fandom movie would be improved by adding Jason Voorhees to it? This will be interesting. Uh, Nazario, you get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, I thought about this for a bit. Um, honestly, Jason is such a such a hammer of a character. It's such a scene changing, theme changing of the movie that you're, whatever you put him in, that you need to find something that kind of fits, even if it's in a in a kind of a mixed genre. So I went with heavyweights because the setting is perfect. The kids are in a fat camp, and we know that Jason loves that camp. And I think there's a there's a good movie that you could be made here uh, in that kind of comedy horror type of movie where you can get uh, like a, the director uh, Christopher Landon I think is his name from Freaky and Happy Dead Day and you can make it like Jason attacks this camp and of course you have Tony Perkins and Lars who just care about the, the <laughs> exercising and they are gonna do all the fucking mistakes that everybody does in the Friday the Thirteenth movies and then the kids are gonna show up because. Kids, fat kids, have been avoiding bullies all their lives. And since they have that practice, they can avoid Jason, too. Time. All right. All right. Uh, Robert, we will move on to you for your opening one minute when you start talking. I went with Haunted Mansion. Uh, I think this is a movie that could be far improved just because there is so much to improve on. It's a movie that's not very good, but if you add a more menacing villain like Jason Voorhees and make it just a little bit darker, you don't even have to change the plot that much. Uh, the movie's 
the the plot stays about what it is uh the villain just becomes far more menacing it becomes far more dark you have a real adversary uh and i think it just becomes a far more improved movie uh, with that addition uh, i'm not changing my movie completely i'm not remaking it into a brand new movie uh, the movie stays the same it just gets better uh so that's why i'm gonna go with haunted mansion i yield my time to tim Ooh, uh, i'll use this 20 seconds to talk about um the upcoming tournaments in fandom and warzone no i'm just kidding i'll bring you guys back in uh five minutes of free form uh when one of you starts talking i just don't think your movie works i'm sorry you are you, you picked you had every movie to pick from the fandom realm and you pick one that you're locked into an ip you're locked into a movie that is an adaptation of a disneyland ride and you're just gonna throw a character from a slasher r-rated series on it and you yeah. think that's gonna work it how is that i think it will i think it'll be that it'll be a more i'm not an advertising executive i don't need to like choose how i want to sell and market my movie but i can say that the movie would be better for having jason in it and the movie can stay about the same not all movies based on rides have to be like an exact adaptation the parts of the caribbean movies are far different than the ride uh on the other side heavyweights you're just changing that movie completely you're taking out uh what the, the heart and soul of that movie, which is the comedy. Uh, you're taking out ev everything. Hey, I started saying it's a horror comedy. Right, but like you're you're just adding something that doesn't work with that premise. That premise is like you said, the fat camp. And if you add Jason to it, it's just Jason chasing fat kids around, and like then no. it's just a Friday the Thirteenth movie, this and it's just wait, please, it, I, I'm not done. Just, please, please. Uh, then it it doesn't it doesn't make your movie better it just makes it more mean way more mean-spirited way less politically correct it's just him chasing around fat kids and like you just get that in any other friday the 13th movie it doesn't have to be heavyweights themed that's the beauty of it it actually perfectly works because jason just goes to the camp to kill people and who's gonna first meet all the counselors like he does in every other friday the 13th movie fair he was gonna deal with tony perkins and with lars and with all those assholes and then he gonna try to get the kids right but this is the brilliant part of it the kids they have been avoiding bullies all, all their lives because they have that practice because being the fat kid abuse one. So they have all the techniques to hide, to avoid, to distract them, to make it funny like they are in the movie. They, they do these things that they can apply to Jason and we can spend the movie finding the way the kids avoid Jason. And you don't even have to find a way to finish off Jason. He has been set up to end up movies just walking away like Freddy versus Jason. He can go away and the kids can have their salvation in the end after having all this hijinks ensue. In your movie, you're saying you're not going to change the plot. The movie has barely any plot. Like the ghost of Mr. Gracie uh, wants to have Eddie Murphy's wife uh, because she's a reincarnation of his dead wife from the haunted mansion. How does Jason fit into that? You just keep saying he doesn't really have to change. Where do you fit him in? I think this. Yeah, what, 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 I meant, what I what I meant is the heart and soul of the movie doesn't have to change. Like what what you the, said the plot. You accuse me of changing the plot of the movie, so I want to see how your movie so, doesn't change. So I'm saying you are changing the plot of the movie. I think the the changes that would be made with Haunted Mansion fit in more with the tone that that movie is already going for. I think you're changing the tone of Heavyweights completely, oh. and also like the best Friday the Thirteenth movies, the best use of Jason in movies, uh, are, are not the comedic ones. It's not those are aren't the ones that work the best. The ones that work the best are the ones that take him seriously as a really menacing villain. And I just don't think if he's chasing around fat kids, that's going to be a menacing villain. It's just going to be, the entire movie is going to be a joke about how they're fat. And that's just not like, 
<laughs> it's just not good. It's just not. It's just mean. It's not. I did uh, not say the joke was that they were fat. I was saying they are going to be. But that's what the joke of heavyweights is. So, the abuse that no, they no, receive so, so, is fat so, people so, being bullied. So that so you have the techniques to avoid Jason. And what you're saying is that it's what techniques do you do? Like you hide under like a different Dude, bench? Like I don't understand that at all. What you're saying is your your vibe is not gonna is gonna embrace Jason. It's not even the same yeah. type of horror. Haunted Mansion is a supernatural so ghost. Jason's story. supernatural. Jason is a slasher film. It's a completely different side. Yes, there are there are supernatural beings in slasher films, yeah. films like Freddy, like Jason, like Michael Myers, but they are still slasher films. It's a whole different type of horror. You are so changing why can't he... the conventions of your movie. Right. The, but the, I, 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 the tone of the movie yeah. is still staying the same, though. It's still him going into this dark, creepy place. And now, like, you, you don't have to change what the movie is going for. I'm not saying the movie... Haunted Mansion you haven't told me how it fits it in the story Please let me... Movie. I'm trying to tell you and you keep interrupting me! Uh, the... the the movie, he can go in with a team of investigators. They can get killed along the way. He doesn't have to go in alone. Uh, it, it, the ghost of the wife can be related somehow to Jason. Like, there's a way to do it where uh, the bad parts of Haunted Mansion are improved. You're not improving Heavyweights. Heavyweights is already a fine movie. It doesn't need Jason to get better. The question says what movie is most improved. Haunted Mansion is terrible. Adding this sinister... Uh, dark villain that is taken seriously and not turned into a joke makes that movie better and the tone stays that you can still have jokes story. but it can still be it a does dark not fit with film. the plot of the movie you the first thing you said is you're changing the movie too much and then you said mine just fits jason and he doesn't because it's a supernatural being on a horror comedy horror comedy straight from the record uh robert you get to close first one minute when you start talking I think a movie can have jokes without it being a comedy. Uh, and I think that's what happens when you add Jason into Haunted Mansion, especially with Eddie Murphy playing off of him. It can still be a funny movie that's not a downright comedy because that's where Haunted Mansion went wrong. It didn't take itself seriously enough. It wasn't dark enough. It didn't have a sinister enough villain. And if you add Jason into that movie, all of those problems are fixed and the movie improves drastically. Heavyweights uh, is already purely a comedy. And I don't think you, I think you completely lose that by having kids who like know the ways to hide from a bully on a camp like it's jason you're not gonna hide from him he's gonna come up and kill you and again i just don't think it's funny or interesting or improves the movie to see jason chasing fat kids who know how to get away from him uh it's just mean-spirited uh it's it's like it's despiseful of uh what heavyweights already is which is clever heavyweights is clever this movie would not be clever if you add jason into it that's all i got okay Move over to Nazario. You have one minute when you start talking. I like how he spent half his closing argument arguing his opinion on what my movie would be. Like, I don't know if he has the references that I say with Christopher Lamb on how he can make horror funny, but it would work. And that you have a way to do this without being insulting or demeaning. You never explain how you're going to put Jason in your movie, in the plot. I told you the plot of the movie. The movie is that the ghost of Mr. Gracie wants the wife of, uh, of Eddie Murphy because he's a reincarnated spirit of his dead wife. How are you going to put Jason in that? He's going to be there, and he's going to do what? Is he supposed to kill Eddie Murphy? Is that supposed to make your movie more serious? Jason also works in comedy. You say it works better when he's dark. Fine. There are some good movies that are like that. But Jason X is totally played for laughs. Fred versus Jason is played half and half. And Jason excels in both those films. And in the end, I think mine is a functional movie that you can actually realize. You can never put Jason in a Disneyland ride adaptation of movie and say, this is going to work. 
and Disney's gonna release that as an R-rated movie. Turn. Come on. Um, all right. Uh, first uh, point that I would like to make a little bit of housekeeping uh, Nazario calling Jason X a film a bit of a stretch but Nazario uh, I, w- it was, I, won't, I won't take any points away from you for that. Um, okay. uh, I get to go first on this one Proud of you. Uh, I'm going to go with Nazario um, I thought that Nazario did a really good job of explaining what his movie would look like. I disagree with him saying that Robert never said what his would. I think Robert did. I just think that Nazario overall pitched taking this character, putting him into another fandom movie and making it work and improving it to make it fun. Um, And I thought he did a good job of tearing down most of what Robert had to say about Haunted Mansion. So, uh, Cody. Few things, few housekeeping. One, I don't know if Robert has seen Heavyweights or has seen a Friday the Thirteenth movie. That's the first that. question. Fair enough. Second thing is, um, he did explain his plot of the movie. But the problem is, he explained the plot of this movie that nothing changes. He just adds Jason. That was the main crux, and then he started the adding. Was. Hold on. I, I think this is my turn to talk. Thank you. Um. But yes, I was talking about the plot thing. He just added Jason to it and everything just continued. Like, that's fine. But then he started, like, adding stuff like Nazario did. I think they both got a little lost track on what the full question was. Um, but uh, I can't wait to see Jason join the uh, four-headed, like, quartet in that movie. But I went with Nazario because I think he just painted the better picture. Um, and as a proud member of the fat community, I would love to see Jason uh, kill a bunch of fatties. It would be great. And we would be okay to see that while eating popcorn. <laughs> Brian, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone and why? Uh, I also said Nazario. I think that, uh, I mean, first of all, Robert was saying how you add Jason to his movie and it's not really going to change it, but it's a PG Disney movie and you're going to add Jason. It's going to change. Nazario admitted that change and told us how it was going to integrate into his story. I think, like you said, he painted a lot better picture of what his movie's going to be and how it's and and what's what's going to look like. And so, yeah, that's what Nazario. Okay, so uh, that means we are tied two to two. We're going to go to a bonus question. Here's how this is going to work. Cody and I have randomized the things in order to find a uh, question for you guys. Um, I'm going to say the question. I'm going to then repeat the question a second time after I've said it for the second time. Uh, The players will be allowed to answer the question. Whoever answers first will be going first. You will have 45 seconds. Then your opponent will get 45 seconds. Then you will get a 30-second rebuttal. Then your opponent will get a 30-second rebuttal. You can use your time for absolutely uh, anything you would like. So um, any questions about how the speed round bonus question is going to work? No. Okay. So uh, the question is coming from the world of fandom. The question is, who is the most annoying main character in an animated fandom movie? Again, who is the most annoying main character in an animated fandom movie? We can, we can Google, right? Yes, you can. Huh? 
Oscar from Shark Tale. Was that Was it Will Smith? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go Barry B. Benson from the B movie. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be good. All right. Uh, so, gentlemen, I will stay on screen for this to give you your countdowns and your warnings. Uh, Robert, you gave your answer first, so you will be going first, and you have 45 seconds uh, to give us your opening. I'll read the question one more time again. Most annoying main character in an animated fandom movie. Robert, whenever you... Oh, oh one Robert. second. Sorry, I just froze for a second. Yep. Can you hear me again? Yep. Okay. This isn't cutting my time. We're good. No, Sorry. you're good. So whenever you're ready. Okay, so Barry just spends the whole movie complaining about how he's not famous and cool, and then when he gets famous and cool, he's just a dick about it. Uh, he's so full of self-loathing, and he hates his life and his job, and uh, his, he's just so annoying. He pushes people away who are trying to get close to him. He's a dick to the girl who likes him and the guy who's trying to be his friend, and he just pushes everybody away uh, in favor of fame and money, and then he gets that and just does the absolute worst things with it. Barry's actually funny. He's interesting. He has interests. He wants to get out there and explore, and he has this really nice, sweet relationship with uh, the humans and he has a great relationship with his best friend uh, when they're in court you know he uh, he is there with his friend and uh, I think his friend uh, sacrifices a lot for him and Barry is very forgiving and thankful for that uh, there's just a lot of layers that he's a good person he's a good B good B striking from the record <laughs> also I will make a point out to the judges Robert said Barry instead of Oscar to start the, the oh thing. I was going to point that out right. sorry Jesus. That That's does my, not sorry. that can't that does not apply into the arguments. So, uh, Nazario, forty-five seconds when you're ready. I know you cross off their names, but it, it worked for my side. My side because you said everything that was wrong with Barry. Barry is a selfish person who just doesn't want to do what the bees are supposed to do. He wants to do whatever he wants to do, and what he wants to do is hook up with a woman, a female woman, and sell you some honey. It's, it's creepy. It's annoying, and he's just Jerry Seifel doing shtick. What's wrong with all the bees? Why the bears take our honey? I mean, it's it's lame and it's stupid. Is Oscar a good character? No, it's not. Shark Tale is also a bad movie. They are both terrible movies. But at least yours has an arc. It has the arc that is the classic of the hero that he gets what he want, thinks he wants. He becomes an asshole. He pushes away his friends. And then he learns his lesson and comes back. I think at least yours appeals to kid in an interesting way. Mine appeals to no one. It's a creepy mid thing between adult and childish thing about interracial relationship that doesn't work. Time. Robert, 30 seconds. Oscar doesn't start with an asshole and, uh, excuse me, he doesn't start as an asshole uh, and, you know, he doesn't, can, I'm sorry, can I restart? Yes. Uh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Oscar doesn't have an arc because he doesn't, uh, you know, become an asshole over the course of the movie and then come back to being a good person. He starts as an asshole, continues to be an asshole, is still an asshole at the end. Barry is a good bee. He's not selfish. He likes contributing to society. He loves traveling with the soldiers. He actually has agency once he finds out about the honeypot. He's very dedicated to getting justice for the rest of the bees. That's admirable. He has a lot of good qualities. Some of the jokes are actually kind of funny. The relationship with this woman is actually really interesting and uh, heartfelt. Uh, Oscar is a dick through and through time nazario i think barry is actually a very selfish person because most bees all bees actually accept their placement in life and they go into the circle of life the way they're supposed to he decides that he's special and he's going to do whatever the fuck he wants yes 
Does he see an opening where he can sue people for taking their honey? Yes, but he doesn't do that out of the willingness of his heart to be a good bee. He does that just so he can avoid being working bee again. Oscar starts off as a nice guy, goes, becomes an asshole, and comes back. He tries to be hip in the early 2000s way that most characters do, and it doesn't work, but it doesn't make him an asshole. Time. Okay. <laughs> Oscar doesn't have an asshole. I'm sorry. I got my, my words got real jumbled there. This is quote of the year for me. Oscar doesn't have an asshole. Well, he's a fish, so I don't know, man. Oh man. Tim's nicer than me. I would have watched just to keep your argument. I would not have uh, it, it made me laugh. I, I made him laugh because I laughed out loud. So um are the judges good? Uh no. Okay. How about now? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm saying now I was very confused because he starts off talking about Barry when it's supposed to be. Uh, that was my fault. Yeah. Then then Nazario works, says actually. that his person wants to hook up with a female woman, which I assume all the females are women. <laughs> As opposed to the non-female women. women. Yeah. And then he's talking about somebody starting out without an asshole. So I'm like Was there an obvious answer to this question that we didn't that we missed? I I mean I'll say what I would have said afterwards, but okay. um okay. Brian, you get to start on this one. Okay. Um, the question was, who is the most annoying character? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. I didn't hear that from either person, so I was lost. They both described why their characters were assholes and dicks, and I didn't hear anything about why anyone was annoying. So that was a little hard for me to judge. The one person who gave me at least a little bit early on, but even he switched to asshole later on, was Nazario. Uh, I agree with Brian. I was thinking that the whole time because we got by the time we got to Robert's uh 30 seconds, I was thinking of, that Robert was winning this, and I was thinking, wait a minute, the question is annoying, not who's the better character or less of a dick or whatever. Uh, and so going by annoying, the person who actually gave me stuff about why their character was annoying was Nazario with the Jerry Seinfeld stuff and the whatnot. Um, so while I think it was a good debate, I think they debated the wrong or they didn't debate the question. And Nazario gave me something that involved the question. So I went with Nazario uh, pretty much for the exact same reason. Cody, your vote doesn't count, but where would you have gone? My favorite is the sprinkling of the salt of annoying because Nazario did bring it up in his first 45, but he's like, he's an asshole. He's annoying. He's an asshole. He's blah, blah. Like he just sprinkled annoying in there and then use it for everything. But I did go with Nazario because I'm with you. I think overall, if this, if you were this question's multiple different ways, I also, in Robert's 30 seconds, he said all the stuff that makes him, makes um, Nazario's character good, but not less annoying than what he is. So it just was hard to argue. So, yeah. yeah. So, with that, your winner is Nazario Montenegro going on to play for the title against Kirk. Uh, we're going to start by talking to Robert. Robert, great match. Uh, as always, you came to play, uh, even if you didn't have hadn't seen some of the movies that you were arguing for. I haven't seen Thoroughbreds uh, either. So, yeah, you made it. In- <laughs> You made it very convincing. Well done. Um, Thank you. At the very least, yeah. I can try to do that sometimes. I did okay against Cam, too. I lost that point, but uh, I, I can at least try to do that sometimes. That's fair. Uh, how are you feeling about the match overall? I feel fine. This is the least I've ever prepped. Uh, I probably would have watched Heavyweights uh, or Haunted Mansion. Um but I didn't, and that's what happened. So uh, I, I still feel I feel like I 
I got heated in the the first two, but I felt like I that passion just sometimes makes me debate much much worse, but also sometimes uh, helps drive like my closings, and I think that uh, really helped, especially with like the Haley Steinfeld round. Uh, I just thought, uh, yeah, that that kind of heat and passion helps sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. And today it didn't as much as it did. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so obviously this means that you're done for the season. Uh, but if you were to come back next season, if you want to come back, who would you like? Caleb Coho. No, I don't know. Uh, whoever. <laughs> I, I would watch you yell at Caleb Coho. <laughs> I, would, I would love to. I think I played him once back in the olden days. I think. I think I won that, but I don't really remember. Uh, so sure. Co- Give me Cam again. Fuck it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Anybody. Sounds good. All right. Well, Robert, great match. We'll see you soon. We'll bring in the winner, Mr. Montenegro. Nazario, you're going on to play for the title against Kirk Kolakowski. Uh, how you feeling? I feel a little better now knowing that he didn't prep well because I didn't either. Like, I actually watched Thoroughbred for the first time this morning. So I picked that out of the trailer. It looked amazing. And then when I was watching, I was like, huh, I should have picked Daniel Taylor-Joy. But, you know, that's the that's what happens. Uh, other, that's the old one category, like I regret because I, I don't know, man. Coming of age movies, it's such a snowflake bunch of things from the 2010s. Like everything is very samey. Everything is just, ah. but I mean, I guess that's why he picked it because you know we will fuck with me. Other than that, I think I did great. Uh, how do you feel? You're gonna be at the year end event to play Kirk. Um, anything you want to say about your opponent or any, are you excited? Do you think you can win? What are you, what's going through your head about that? I'm actually very excited. This is my first ever title shot in multiplex. Like I've had one in full metal. I've never had one here. Uh, if it has to be debate, then so be it. But I, I do appreciate the, the opportunity to actually be in a meaningful thing by the end of the year. And I have never seen Kirk argue anything, but if he does it as much as he talks in top 100, all he does is <laughs> it's gonna be long and boring. Uh, yeah, I would I would go back and watch some of his matches, buddy. <laughs> uh, so, Desario, uh, congrats. We'll see you at the end of the year for the debate. I'm looking forward to it. Brian, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, he's apparently never met Kirk because that's all he does argue. Even not in debates, just in anything. Um, but yeah, this this was a good match. There was two two questions I think were pretty decisive. Who I thought won them personally, at least, and two that could have gone either way. So it, it was actually pretty close. And Robert, I think, actually did a good job because if I didn't know, I wouldn't have known that he didn't watch these movies. He covered it up pretty well. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm sorry, I just pulled it out. Cody, what about you? Yeah, I think uh, I think if you didn't prep for this match, if you won a shot at the title, you're going to have to prep against Kirk. Kirk leaves no stone unturned. He he's by far the the best one going right now. Um, I think it's it's funny that Nazario's in the situation from where he lost. I think Boatman because two judges didn't see the movie that he was debating, and he just threw total bullshit. And Nazario lost that, and now he's all the way back here. But I think the interesting thing, Kirk versus Nazario, is probably the most difference stylistic between mm-hmm. the two. And that makes for a hell of a debate and hell of a title match. And Brian, like I said, save it your calendars. Uh, um, we agreed more times than not this night because they didn't prep as well. So we were like, clear winners here. But yeah, uh, 
absolutely. Great. I can't wait for the title match. All right. Well, we will see that title match at the year-end event. I want to thank Robert and Nazario for being here, as well as Cody and Brian for judging this one with me. Uh, we'll see you guys very soon for the final debate fan zone match of the season. Been a hell of a season. Been a lot of stuff. Uh, but we're at the end, and I'm very excited. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to fun stuff next year. But uh, I think Nazario versus Kirk is going to be awesome. So uh, we'll see you guys real soon with that match. Until then, thank you. Have a good night. Asshole! That's my bad. I was sending a tweet.